winter's day In a deep and dark December I am alone Gazing from my window To the streets below On a freshly fallen silent shroud of snow Friendship causes pain It's laughter and it's loving I disdain I am a rock I am an island Don't talk of love Well I've heard the word before It's The slumber of feelings that have died If I never loved, I never would have cried Listening studs, and my guest this week is Zach Hazard Vopen. Uh, Zach's uh, new book is Combed Cup of Thunder, uh, which came out last fall from uh, Retrofit. And I meant to um, talk to Zach last fall, but as I want to do, um, I kind of fell behind on things. And so here we are. Uh, my first interview of 2018. Zach is sitting in the middle of the the Boom Cyclone, I think it's called, uh, and I am enjoying a Vancouver rainy day, so we're we're polar opposites right now, Zach. Great. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't a very good intro, was it? <laughs> yeah, you pronounced my book wrong too. It's co- it's called Clap of Thunder. Oh, sorry, I'm an <laughs> asshole. Uh, yeah, a terrible start. No, I'm kidding. Uh, I think actually, I, I, there's something about me I think that makes people pronounce the things I write wrong because this happens every time I talk to anyone about anything I've ever done. They always say the title wrong. Are you just like making things too complicated? Um, maybe I'm, I must. I must be right. <laughs> I'm just being silly. Um, thank you, Zach, for uh, joining me today. Um, I had it a really good time, kind of jumping through your comics and kind of seeing um, kind of where you've come to, because you gave me, I remember years ago at a Brooklyn show, you gave me mini comic. It was like brown with a silk screen cover. Oh yeah. Uh, Hatred for a human host. A uh, very joyful name. Um, yeah. That was my senior thesis in college. Oh wow. I had no idea. Yeah. <laughs> and that was like what? 2010? Yeah, I guess so. What, yeah, that sounds right. That was a long time ago. Jesus, it was. Um, this is really aging me really quickly right now. Um, <laughs> but it, it, I'm really fascinated to see like kind of where you were going there and just kind of what's kind of come out the end with um, Combed Clap of Thunder. 
um, and pearlescent gray and just kind of seeing the different directions you've taken yourself in as you're kind of more finding um, what you're into and what you're kind of feeding off of. So. Yeah. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Not a question. Um, and so I kind of, I, I guess, like, knowing that was your kind of grad thesis project, was that in New York you were going to school or was that? No, that was in Baltimore. Okay. I, I was going to MICA for undergrad. Uh, I, I did my last three years of undergrad at MICA. I did my first two at SVA for, for cartooning, but uh, I did not enjoy the program at all. So I, I had to, and I wanted to learn printmaking and they wouldn't let me at SVA. So I transferred really? scripts. Yeah. They only had one class for, for printmaking that I knew of at the time. And it was it was really difficult to get into, so I I decided to to just go to a school with a, a full major of printmaking. And that's what I graduated with a printmaking degree. So what what was it that was like just rubbing you the wrong way at SVA? Was it just like a major focus on kind of mainstreamy type stuff? Like, um, it was a little bit that kind of no one was into what I was into. Yeah. Like none of none of my classmates were were really into uh, alternative or underground comics at all. Yeah, little bit they were into like superhero DC Marvel comics, but mostly it was like anime DeviantArt kids. And yeah. I had a really hard time uh, taking critiques from them. <laughs> <laughs> and and it didn't make it any better that the the classes just kind of didn't like gel with me very well like a lot of the cartooning classes were really focused on uh like really really weird stuff that i don't i don't i like in reflection i can't i can't really understand why anyone was teaching comics this way but i, I was taking these classes where they were like there's only two styles of uh of page layouts there's a six panel grid and a nine panel grid and there are two page sizes there's two by three and three by four and that's it. And you can't draw with anything except for uh, a pen and a nib, unless you want to use a brush. And that's pretty much all you need to know about comics. Jesus. And that, uh, was, that was the SBA experience. So I, <laughs> I decided that I was, I was wasting my time there and I wanted to learn some kind of a skill. And then I was like, printmaking is cool. Books get printed. I like printing, I think. And, uh, and then I found it too difficult to get into any printing classes at SBA. It's too bad because, like, ten years previous, I think you would have like totally fit in with like Meat House and stuff. Yeah. So w when I was a freshman there, uh, like John Vermilia and Eamon Espy and uh, a handful of other really good cartoonists were seniors, and I was like, "Oh, rad! There's a lot of really cool artists here." Yeah. And Next year, I was a sophomore, and they had all graduated, and there was nobody left save um, uh, like a couple people that were that were into anything cool or doing anything interesting. So, what kind of creators were that you were reading at that point that made you want to do your own work or type of art that was like pushing you creatively and to really pursue going to SVA? Um. Well, to go, I wanted to go to SVA because I wanted to live in New York City. I, I grew up in the in the suburbs, like maybe forty five minutes north of the city, and uh, I went to a portfolio day, and I I, uh, I read a lot of. I was like a big time manga teen, just like chilling in the aisles at Barnes and Noble, flipping through the manga, and uh, I was like, I wanna I wanna draw comics. So I, I went to a portfolio day that my that was hosted at Pratt, I think, and. I went to the SVA table and they were like, we offer a cartooning program. And I was like, whoa, that's awesome. That's a job. You can, you can grow up to be a, a cartoon, make a living, uh, enough to pay it back an art school student loan debt. That's amazing. All right, I'm in. <laughs> they just kind of snickered. Yeah, I, was, I was sold this life on a lie, basically. <laughs> I, I think that's the same in any art school. Yeah, direction. but then uh, when I when I started as a freshman at SVA, they have a really great library that has tons of comics. So I was exposed to so much stuff that I'd never ever seen before because I'd never seen anything that wasn't in the manga aisle at Barnes and Noble. 
So I, I found, uh, I think, a copy of Kramer's Ergot 5, and that totally blew my mind uh, at, at 18 years old, just, like, seeing all these different art styles and just, like, the, the quality of the book was so nice, too. And I was like, wow, a book can be like this? That's, that's awesome. And that, that was, like, I think, like, the turning point from me of being the same kind of, like, shitty DeviantArt kid that just wanted to draw fan comics for all my class assignments into somebody that wanted to, like, really explore, like, what the limits of art could be. Mm-hmm. Um, did you find moving to Baltimore that kind of really was a big shift also artistically because you got out of that SVA zone? Oh, totally. Kind of pushed you visually? Because everyone at SVA kind of... It was a lot more like commercially focused school. So a lot of people, they were uh, trying to think of like what kind of like way they wanted to make their art so that it was more profitable or maybe not profitable, but uh, like easier to, to pitch, you know, and uh, at, at Micah, it was, I mean, there was, uh, it was just like a, a totally like that kind of like free form, like everyone's just like trying to reinvent themselves kind of art school where uh, everyone's just kind of like starting from scratch and like relearning how to be a person and ending up as kind of like a really psychotic artist type person. <laughs> Did a lot you... of people shaving random parts of their hair out and tattooing themselves and stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> And I was like, "Yeah, this is it. This is my people. This is this is what I wanted to go to college for for <laughs> to tattoo myself and shape part of my head." So, what was your tattoo? Oh man, uh, I, I'm covered in in awful sticking pokes that I did in college. Some some of them are covered up by much better tattoos now. But I I got like a peace symbol, one of those stupid S's. Uh, those are all covered up now. I got uh, some satanic symbols on my leg and. Uh, I got my my friend tattooed this guy on me that we used to call Three Butts Guy. It's just a it's just like a little bald guy with three butt cheeks. <laughs> I like th- I, I like the sound of Three Butts Guy. I think he sounds like a uh, a noble, noble. Yeah, he song. was like our obey giant kind of. <laughs> <laughs> um. Now, did you you were connected with the closed caption comics crew there? That's I met them all at Micah. Yeah. Uh, they- they're all also uh, upperclassmen, uh, and a lot of them were printmaking majors. So that's that's sort of like how we started to get to know each other. And it's it's funny that like a lot of the cartoonists at at Micah were in illustration majors, but they were printmaking majors. Yeah, but it was it was cool. I remember you know, and they were like the cool upperclassmen too you know they would always like kind of have like full run of the print shop and they'd be doing like really crazy cool looking screen prints for uh like shows a giant robot and stuff and i was like well these guys are really cool oh man i wonder i wonder how i can hang out with them and uh and then i don't know what happened but eventually i was like part of that crew and we would do i would just do all the uh different conventions with them and stuff and do the um, the anthologies and stuff. Mm-hmm. Was that kind of your intro into the greater comics community through them, or were you kind of going to conventions on your own at that point? Um, I was sort of going to conventions on my own for them. Uh, not like definitely because I went to SVA. I already knew some people that were like doing conventions regularly and stuff. Um. Mm-hmm. I met a lot of people through comics at SVA before I went to Micah, so I definitely already had some connections and stuff. Like, uh, like uh, just different people I knew were doing doing lots of tabling. Like Nate Doyle, I think was tabling a lot already, uh, and uh, I don't really remember when I actually started going to conventions, but. I already knew people when I was going there. I can't I can't really remember how it happened, but I, just, I already knew people. Now, your early work, like the the mini I mentioned before, um, definitely a lot more, I'm going to say, metal-influenced. Yeah, I think so. I, I was like, 
I mean, in college, I was definitely just way, way into metal, and I was, I wanted to be like the guy that made like metal comics because I didn't think that that was a thing. I, I hadn't seen it before, so I was like, I'll be the pioneer of that. <laughs> <laughs> I like I was, that as, as a pursuit. Nice. I, I never knew. Uh, I, I'm, I've always been bad about knowing about a lot of stuff, especially especially at that age. I, I was very the very typical kind of like early 20s guy that was like, I know about everything, and uh, now that I do, I'm going to go change everything with, with my knowledge of everything. And uh, I don't know. Then, then I realized a lot of people, when I started doing kind of like metal comics, a lot of people were doing them, and I quickly realized that it was uh, a pretty a pretty common uh, idea. Was there something you wanted to do kind of to pull yourself out of that was there work that you're like kind of you see kind of moving on to a next step with your work because I, I i'm interested by that like kind of early phase of like kind of working through that influence of like the metal is kind of like an adolescence in a way of like wearing the patches on your sleeve and stuff if that makes sense yeah i know what you mean um i think I don't know. I, I've always definitely tried to just make comics that are sort of things that I identify with. And at that time, like being a punk and being really into metal was like a huge part of my identity. And it was like sort of how like I based a lot of the way that I socialized on. And uh, like it, it was just the way that I, I it was the only way that I really knew how to meet other people was through like punk and metal and stuff. Like that was my whole time growing up was. I basically had only really nerdy friends and only very few until I got into punk. And then I met like, it felt like hundreds of people just because I would go to shows all the time. And I think from there, that was sort of like the only way that I knew how to sort of like view the world was like through punk, through like, that was my only, <laughs> my only lens outside of myself. Was it pretty a white picket fence type suburban growing up? Uh, yeah, kind of. Well, not really white picket fence, more like, uh, like woods everywhere. I, I grew up in a townhouse complex, so I didn't have like my own backyard or front yard or anything like that. But, uh, there was, there was woods everywhere. So I spent a lot of time in the woods. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that, that kind of like works with one of the stories in the combed clap of thunder. And, um, the first story in there, I wonder about the, the isolation of the character. Yeah. Oh yeah, I think that's kind of a a big theme in like a lot of my work is is isolation. Yeah, I, I, I don't really know. Uh, yeah, I guess I guess like it's 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 what I was saying before. Just say <laughs> I've always felt like difficulty, like sort of uh, getting outside of myself. I, I always feel like very like trapped inside of myself. Was there a catharsis to having that isolation when you're young of being able to just like disappear into a forest? Uh, no, <laughs> I, I always wanted, uh, attention, but then when I got it, I never knew what to do with it. So, uh, I think the woods was just kind of like a, a safe place where I was just like, it's nothing really like nothing to worry about in the woods from my perspective. <laughs> I was, I never like ran into scary animals or anything like that. So it was fine. Well, that's not what I mean. Like, like, like. I just mean like just having a break and a space to yourself and a way. Oh yeah, totally. I, I mean, I, I grew up uh, with, I have a brother and a sister and uh, when my brother was born, it was just like, we shared a room. And then when my sister was born, it was like all three of us shared a room until she was too old. And they just split our bedroom in half. And then I had a half of a bedroom that I shared with my brother. So it was nice to really be able to like go anywhere else. <laughs> I didn't have my own space really for kind of, kind of until I was like maybe like 20 years old. <laughs> even, even after I moved out of my parents home, I lived in, I lived in a dorm at SVA where I had to share a room with a total stranger and we, we did not hit it off, which was great. <laughs> uh, and then I had my own room for like the first time since I was two years old the year after that, but 
it was a really tiny, shitty room and in a really bad uh, apartment in Williamsburg. Uh, back when you could still like kind of live in Williamsburg in like a really shitty shithole for an affordable price. Uh, but I hated being in that room because it was right next to the J train and. I would hear the train all day and all night long. So I spent a lot of time out of that apartment too. Uh, yeah, that doesn't sound good for your sanity. Um, I'm looking at pearlescent gray and I'm interesting how you got to that point. Um, cause I feel like you kind of work through these things and you kind of revisit the manga in an interesting way with that book. Yeah, well, so I think when I when I like stopped being such an anime kid when I was at SVA, I I just went the total opposite direction. I, I was like totally rejected all like anime manga influences in my in my drawing style at, at, to, as much as I could, or at least consciously. And uh, I don't I don't know why I thought it was just like. So there's something that felt like really shameful, just even about like liking anime and manga. And I, I did it like I, I like that stuff kind of just secretly. <laughs> and I mean, I also felt like a lot of the people that I, I knew that were into anime and manga weren't really into the same stuff as me. Like no one else was reading Berserk or Akira or anything like that. Uh, so I, it was it was that was like that was something that was just for me to do alone. And, and so I, I felt some weird, like, shame about it, I think, for a little while. And so I just, I was like, I need to get all this, the manga influence out of my drawing style. And after a few years of that, I, got, I think I got really frustrated because I just didn't really know how to draw otherwise, kind of. <laughs> I, I'd spent so many years just kind of, like, like drawing Goku and stuff. Like, that was, like, my whole middle school is just drawing Goku on every single binder in the back of every test I took. And I don't know. I, I just eventually just let it all come back in. And then, I, and then I, like, I started making comics, like, definitely later in college that were just really, like, back and forth between, like, no manga influence and then too much manga influence. Like, over-the-top kind of, like, pop art kind of. yeah thing with it and I don't know and then after that I kind of like it's just I feel like I'm always just kind of like balancing things with my with my with what I'm trying to make although I used to be a lot more obsessed with with what my style was and now I don't really give a shit at all <laughs> I think that's okay yeah I mean I think that that's like the that was like the ultimate goal was to just figure out how to not give a shit and just draw, draw what makes me actually want to draw. I'm wondering what it was like when you saw something like Junji Ito, um, which kind of took in other things, which is a little different than like Akira, or a lot different than Akira and Berserk. Oh yeah, I mean that was that was always like so that that kind of when I saw Junji Ito comics for the first time, it definitely totally blew my mind. I. I... <laughs> I was like, oh, this is so great. It's like, it's manga, and it's, it still feels like really Japanese, but without being like shoujo or, or shonen or anything like that. And I think, um, I'm trying to think, is either that or Shintaro Kaga or something else, I, you know, something from Tumblr. Tumblr is kind of what introduced me to a lot of that stuff. Uh, but that, that, that stuff, I was like, oh man, this kind of, there's this kind of work happening in Japan right now. This is amazing. And it kind of like, it fed even more into my interest. It was like stuff that I didn't, like I wanted, but I didn't even know was available. Mm -hmm. um, it was really influential though. That, yeah. Like seeing like Junji Ito and Kazuo Umezu. I, I think I, I, I just randomly, uh, I, oh, <laughs> I think up in, from like age 16 to age 20, I, I, I also like, aside from like sitting in the manga aisle at Barnes and Noble a lot, I would sneak sh just shit into my backpack and then run out. Uh, and I, I randomly grabbed uh, both gigantic volumes of Cat Eye Boy uh, one time and, and just like ran out with it. And then I, I got home and I read through them and I was like, oh, wow, this is such a great, 
<laughs> the shot lifting paid off for once. Yeah. <laughs> I feel so much garbage, though. It was such a little klepto. Yeah. Um, did your parents notice? Um, I, I assume so. It's hard to tell. I think I was just like such like a typical like uh, agonizing teen that my parents were just kind of like, uh, we'll just we'll leave him be unless it seems like it's a, <laughs> an emergency or something. <laughs> He's stealing books. It's okay. I had, I had way more books and CDs than I had money, so I think I think that they they suspected something. Um. Now I'm presuming also you read some weird sci-fi too. Am I making a presumption here? Uh, yeah, I, I read some sci-fi. Some weird sci-fi, I guess. Yeah. I'm just interested kind of um, what's kind of jumping into your interest as you're kind of getting more and more into just like kind of really making these odd near future kind of abstract realities. Oh, um, I don't know. I think I've always really liked sci-fi. It's just a really great way to kind of like passive aggressively tell a story. <laughs> yeah. You you just kind of tell a story about anything you want, but spice it up a little bit with 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 some sci fi stuff, and it kind of makes it feel a little bit like you're able to view it a little bit more objectively, maybe. But I don't know. I I, I definitely obviously when I was making Prolescent Gray, I was I was really trying to do like a Evangelion thing where I wanted just this kind of like sci-fi but it's like not even about the sci-fi it's just about like how fucked up the world is mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, but with like you know something poppy like robots you know but i think i did it maybe a little too literally <laughs> <laughs> well that's something i'm really interested in that story is just kind of your own kind of dread of the future or is there a dread of the future that you have oh yeah definitely every everything i've made for, the, for a long time has been dread of the future. Dread of the future and then like dissatisfaction with the present. <laughs> what scares you about the future? Uh, just that it's, it just feels like it's going to be, uh, I feel like it's going to be worse in the future, but everyone's going to think it's better. <laughs> and I think that that's like the, the way that things just continually get worse is, is uh, everyone kind of fooling themselves into thinking that, that, Every year is progress. Do you think there are things that make it worse? Like, is there technology? Like, is it technology? Is it just our human nature as being worse to each other? I don't think it's. I don't think it's human nature or or technology really. But I think it, there's something to the fact that we we make all this technology to to help each other and to help ourselves, but ultimately. Uh, most technology ends up being used for evil purposes just because that's, that's just the nature of stuff, I guess, you know, just anything that can be used for good can somehow be used for an equal amount of evil. It seems like, and, uh, you, you can't kind of like make something good without making something that is also bad at the same time. I don't know. There's, there's something, there's something off about, about just about how like the world functions, you know, and I don't think it's like human nature, but I think it's something about the nature of the, the systems that we live in that we like can't seem to escape. Isn't one of the things like the reason 20th century has such a technological leap is because of the second world war. Maybe. Uh, I don't know. I seem to remember I, something about it that. Was, it was like all the, I thought it was just a big kind of kickoff after the Industrial Revolution. I think there's a lot of advances, though, from the, like, building technologies in the in the war, especially when you're looking at, like, nuclear shit. Oh, and, totally, yeah. And processing power and the need for processing. Um, yeah, a lot of technological advancements are done, done for, for war, which is really sad. Yeah. Um... In Pearlescent Gray, I'm really fascinated by your use of lettering and just kind of how you see that representing characters. Yeah, I thought I'd try doing a different font for every character, kind of like having their own voice. It was really difficult. 
I'm not I'm not a very uh, adept letter to begin with, I don't think. And I, I don't know. I, I always try to do something that's that's way harder than I can possibly do. And I think that's a really good way to um, advance your your skill level, but it's not a great way to uh, like make finished work, I guess. And that, that was kind of why I stopped working on Pearlescent Gray was it was as trying to do too many things that I had never done before. And I don't, I don't even think I was like not capable of doing it, but I, I wasn't really taking my time to, to like do it correctly either. I was trying to, I was trying to do a lot of new stuff and I was trying to rush through it. Cause I was like, damn, it takes a really fucking long time to make a comic book. And I want this to be like a thousand pages somehow. <laughs> Is that the interest with the the newer comic of it being all short stories? Is just to kind of be able to get those things. Yeah, I was absolutely burnt out. Uh, I think I started working on the first story, the Lonely Auto Cannibal, the Scientist, um, as a, as kind of a break. Like I was going to just take a like a short break from Pearlescent and Gray, and and just make like this one short comic, and then. After I finished it, I was like, oh, it felt so good to finish that. I don't think I want to keep working on something really, really long. It's amazing. Um, one of the things really interesting for me is also, like, uh, I really feel like you leaped with the Comb Clap of Thunder, like, artistically, really pushed yourself um, a lot further. And I'm wondering if that's being able to just focus on that story and put into those pages instead of having to plow through a thousand pages. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I took a lot longer on, on every page of that book than I did on anything I had previously. Like, I think I made 62 pages of pearlescent gray in a year, maybe a year and a half. Yeah. And I'm, it took me two years to finish 40 pages of comb clap of thunder. Wow. And I'm counting um, title pages in the <laughs> inside cover when I say 40 pages. Well, like the the cover's phenomenal. The back uh, and front, like, um, no, I I was really impressed with it. And like when I got, I was like, this is like, you've really, um, it, it's really interesting. Just yeah, not really saying anything new with this. Just I really liked it. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad. <laughs> Um, some things I'm interested in is also um, you're really taking purposeful, slowed down beats with it as well, uh, and looks like you're really trying with the timing of the characters and the pace of the story with this, especially with the first story. Yeah, I thought I'd focus a lot more on on refinement and and making things work than just trying to to make something big and make it fast. And I've definitely. I, when I, I think when I was working on Prolessing Grade 2, that was kind of my last-ditch effort of, like, this is, like, Patreon's new, I'm going to do this thing, this is going to, like, really launch my career, and then, and, like, this will be, like, the thing that people will, like, remember me for, maybe, because they'll be, like, just, it'll be so, like, it's, I felt like it was just the right time for it, and I totally, like, blew it. <laughs> and so I, for, with this, with Comb Clap of Thunder, I was, like, all right, less obsessing about career and like making it. Uh, I just want to like, I just want to make a comic book that I'm happy with and that I feel like it like sort of expresses the things that I want to express in art and and not like obsess about. I, I was trying to play more to my strengths, I guess. So yeah, I, I, yeah and I can't draw something really, really long. Or if if I can, I, uh, I definitely need to figure out a new way to do it. But I figured I could I could do something good that was like twelve pages. That was each story is twelve pages, and I was like, twelve pages is a good amount. It's not so short that you can't really tell a story, but it's not so long that uh, I'm going to get burnt out or hate it at, at a certain point. Or even if I do like hate finishing it up, you know, it's really not going to take that long. So I can sort of like drudge through anything I need to do to like kind of like. Not make it perfect, but you know, just polish it out. Um, 
I'm interested in uh, the last story about Jesus or the many oh, Jesus. Yeah. The real Jesus is. Yeah. Um, and I'm interested in that and also with some of those stuff, if like existentialism is at all a factor for you of things you think about. Yeah, definitely. Uh, <laughs> maybe, maybe not specifically, but I definitely, I'm definitely someone, a very existential person. My, my whole life, uh, I, I remember having these like existential crises when I, I was just like a really little kid and I, re- I didn't understand what it was. And I, I would, um, I would, I would just be like sitting in, in like the car being driven home from like kindergarten or something. And I remember just kind of like sitting there and being like, what is life? Like, what is living? And like, am I alive? Like, how can I tell what is it like to not be alive? And then I would kind of like try to imagine that. And I would kind of start panicking and I would have like a little panic attack just like privately to myself. I don't think anyone, I don't think my parents realized I was doing it (laughs) or anybody really, really noticed. Uh, but I, was, I would just get really anxious about it, and then I'd kind of, like, and I'd have to, like, just calm myself down. And I don't know. I've, I've always worried about existence and just existing and, like, how to continue existing. Like, why? Why do people continue existing? I have no idea. Yeah, I don't know. I think I deal with that a lot in my art, though. Yeah. Just trying to figure out the why. Do you, have you found any answers for yourself? Uh, no, I don't, <laughs> I have a lot of great things in my life. I have a, a beautiful wife, a stable job. Uh, I can draw. <laughs> I guess. Um, I have lots of great friends and, but I don't know, I'm not like suicidal or anything, but I don't really understand what, what really like drives me to still go through the minutia of everyday life. Just getting up, going to work, doing stuff that I don't enjoy. Uh, Not specifically that I don't enjoy my work, but uh, just uh, like there's just so many, so many things about being alive that you have to do uh, just menial things. And it's weird to think like, okay, I'll, I'll spend like 60 or more percent of my time doing menial, boring, tedious stuff. And I'll do that for the next like 60 ish years or until I die or whatever. (laughs) How does living in New York kind of inform your work and play a role as a character in your work? Um, probably just, I, I feel like I, the way I represent isolation in my work a lot is, is these people that are kind of like just surrounded by other people, but they're, they just still feel isolated. And that's kind of how I feel in New York a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. I think that's generally like the vibe New York tries to give off where it's like, you're here, but you're alone. If you're on the subway, don't talk to you or look at anybody. If you're on the street, get the fuck out of the way. Just like be in your own world, have your headphones in. There's too many people here for you to even process. So just, <laughs> just go about your day. You're just, you're just here and everyone else is here, but you're not really here together. You're just navigating everyone else's reality. Yeah. And I feel, I think it feels a lot more like that in Manhattan than it does in Brooklyn, but I work in Manhattan. So that's, that's kind of my everyday. Yeah. In Brooklyn, it's a lot more calm. I I know my neighbors, they're nice. I talk to them on the street. It's, it's not weird, but in in Manhattan, that's, that's where it's sort of like, you don't know who, who lives in New York. You don't know who's a tourist. You don't even really know who speaks the same language that you speak. and uh, everyone is kind of like either really happy or really upset. <laughs> there's no, there's no one that's in the middle. If you're in Manhattan, you're either really excited to be seeing some sights, or you're like really bummed that you have to be in Manhattan. After putting the book together, um, where are you kind of taking your work? Because that was last year it came out, and so interesting. What's what's happened in the meanwhile? Well, I haven't, I've been doing some, uh, some more like print work instead of, instead of making comics, yeah. just trying to, uh, I don't know, 
just get a feel for other things. And I, I like trying new stuff and seeing how it informs my comics. But I work in a, um, a large format print shop in, in Manhattan, and I have access to a lot of like really um, cool stuff. And we uh, we make a lot of interesting things uh, out of like plexiglass and MDF and uh, like uh, adhesive vinyl and stuff like that. And we we occasionally get to work with really interesting materials, and then we have a bunch left over that's scrap that we can't use because it's it's like not really big enough. Yeah, just uh, like cutoffs. Yeah, stuff that we're gonna throw out anyway. So I, I get that for free, and so I, I, I've been experimenting with like printing on that kind of stuff, and I don't know. I've been thinking about kind of if I could somehow make like I don't know, like comics, but I don't know. We're we're first there. They're kind of uh, just prints on their own. Just, just to put on the wall, and then somehow they all come together to become a story. That's something I'd like to try to figure out how to do uh, in a way that doesn't seem uh, kitschy or anything. Mm-hmm. And then I've also been... I started teaching myself how to use um, some 3D programs recently. And I want to see how... I, I have no idea or plans or, for how that's going to fit into my comics work but do you mean like 3d printing like sculpture or do you mean like 3d digital rendering uh well both kind of because we we do we have a 3d printer at at work but it's it's not very good and it's it's expensive to to get the shit for it so uh but I, i i am trying to learn uh rhino right now just because it's uh applicable to to my work situation and it'll help me with uh kind of like com- putting together structures and stuff for work but i think that that i could i don't know maybe i could do something sculptural with it and i i mean the i can still use the same models for digital rendering and making stuff for fabrication I don't know. I think I think it'll. I don't know. It's weird to where um, where stuff in my process comes from. Like it's always places I don't expect, and it's always because I tried something new. Like I took a sumi ink class when I was in college, and it was just kind of like a filler class. It was just an elective, and it seemed easy. So I was like, okay, I'll just take this this sumi ink class, uh, and. The, the just the techniques I learned for using uh, uh, like dry brush and stuff, I, I still use that stuff to to today. Like it's like huge influence. Interesting. It's uh, it's kind of amazing where we find different things that we can kind of use into our daily practices. Yeah. I don't know if I have any good personal examples because I don't really do anything creative, but you know. <laughs> I'm guessing it's kind of creative, I think. Sure. I mean, you... I mean, you, you answer all the questions. I just come up with weird little interludes. Um, so, um, right now, folks can find Comb Clappage of uh, Thunder in better comic stores for Metrofit Books as well as online from you. Um, yes. And I think you don't have a lot of other stuff. Just a print. Online looks like, which I'm presuming you print to work. Oh, it's on plexiglass. Yeah, uh, I, I, I think on my on my Instagram is uh, is the easiest place to see that stuff. Well, that's really but neat. I did some stuff on a. We got this gold mirror plexi, and I made some prints on that recently. For um, I think it was like. I guess it was maybe one of the last shows at Pony Gallery, Pony Club Gallery. Okay. Yeah, in Portland. Portland. Yeah. Yeah. And that was that was kind of cool. I, I've started doing more uh, kind of like art shows. <laughs> yeah. That like that. I think that was the first like real gallery show that I've done in a while. But right before that, I did a, a solo show of stuff for um, Bushwick Open Studios at at my friend's barber shop, which is kind of like a impromptu yeah. kind of thing where 
I was in there getting my hair cut and he was like, do you want to put up some art for Bushwick Open Studios in my shop? And I was like, um, okay, I guess. And then the more I thought about it, I was like, oh, this will be cool actually. I'm going to make a lot of really cool new stuff. And then it got me really pumped and then I made, I think like three new prints for it. And then we like had the show and that was kind of it. <laughs> but it was, it was fun. It's kind of weird how stuff like that happens. Yeah. Well, I love the... I love the the plexiglass part. I'm actually really fascinated by it because it's like the first image just doesn't do it justice when I look at the other one, whereas you're actually holding it, and it's quite neat. So, thanks. Yeah, I, it's really interesting, like the effect that you can get with on all these different materials, especially plexiglass. I really like I really like stuff that's reflective, and I really like stuff that's transparent. So, plexiglass is kind of top tier material for me to use. Yeah. I got this this little Kaz Dresipek painting years ago, I think from a giant robot show, and he, what he did is he did these four different layers on transparencies, so it like gave the thing depth. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, it was neat. Yeah, so, a lot of stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, no, I I think it's really neat when you kind of play with see-through things, especially like you're just working with things in different ways where you're giving something else the background and I, and I think that's interesting yeah definitely and and also just figuring out like which areas to make opaque and which areas to make transparent and how that kind of like changes with the space that you put the piece in and how it changes the way people look at an image it's it's all really interesting yeah. like you can't really tell in any of the Instagram pictures but all those prints have like there's a lot of really interesting things that, that you can really only see in person on them, just in, in the ways that I kind of, like, messed around with uh, opacity and stuff on it. And the Instagram is emo, emo underscore sludge for folks wanting to check it out. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I should I should tell people uh, my usernames for things when I, <laughs> I talk about them. That's, that's a good, uh, good marketing technique. There we go. And I'll have links on the text accompanying this interview on org. <laughs> yes great uh, Instagram is definitely where I post the most uh, stuff worth looking at Twitter is where I post a lot of garbage opinions that I have and then Facebook is where I just share memes now because it's a total hell world there and it's, it's not, not even worth engaging people on Facebook in, in any sort of even polite conversation because it, it always turns ugly somehow. Yeah. I don't know how people do it. I don't, I don't know what the algorithm is with Facebook now, but they, they've made it so that you, you can't have a, you can't post or talk about anything in earnest without somebody uh, getting really, really mad. I just posted about finding a movie boring and everyone got up in arms. Yeah, don't mess with people's uh, culture, man. That's, I know. That's how people live their lives. If you if you don't like Star Wars, then I mean, be be ready to go to war. <laughs> I I'm sure I'll I'll be okay. I can I can <laughs> run faster than uh, scared than they can angry. Um, yeah. Uh, thank you so much for joining me today, Zach. I really appreciate yeah, this. Uh, reminder: I've been talking to Zach Hazard Vopen, and his latest book is Combed Clap of Thunder from Retrofit. Yeah. So yeah, thank you so much for taking the time. Yeah, of course. Thanks. Thanks again for having me. It was fun. Yeah. こっちはいい天気だ今ちょっと喋って平気かま時間がね分けじゃねえしなあれから二十年こんな言うのも自分で大人げねえのも分かってっけど俺はあんたを憎んでるいったよな二十一年前のあの夜家に母ちゃんは
つもの通りあんたの連絡は途絶えた「でも悪い話ばかりじゃない俺の記憶だとあれは10歳連れてってくれたよねサーカス」「ライオンが俺たちを沸かす」次にあったのは中1だいぶ大人になった雰囲気言ったあんたと言われた俺はどう映った渋谷の夕日に94年7月あんたの容態が気になる向かった先帰宅の病院看護婦の声が遠い3日前4日前セミの声ごっちゃまぜ感謝してやる今写真のあんた見てある家庭のことも嘘ついた国籍のことも嘘ついたでもてめえが何も知らねえところで一人の女は強くいたでもあんたといたらどうなったこれだけ言える手にわか殺さなくてよかった愛を受けて俺は育った俺も育った1992年1月15日がパパの命日2歳の頃の記憶ねえしビデオと写真だけ見てイメージそれでママは精神病院にいた俺が七五三の時達夫が私を呼んでるっつって9階ベランダから飛び降りて自殺しようとする泣いて叫んで暴れて死ぬっていう俺はあんたを憎んでるパパが死んだのは交通事故って聞かされたみんなそういうしそう思ってたよ今までは実家でじいちゃんと一緒にまずいタバコを吸っていたあの時達夫は事故死じゃないんだぞって言われてじいちゃんのこと三度見マジかよなんだそれ真実を知るのなんか怖えけど結局うやむやにごまかされた俺まだ本当のことは知らない俺の勘ぐりじゃオーバードーズ真夜中亀戸のお墓に行って一緒にレモン中杯を飲むね聴いてるか俺の音楽を日本人だけど韓国のお父さんの名前俺も使うよこうこうこうこうファミリー選べない血は赤いだけじゃないファミリー選べない血は赤いだけじゃないファミリー選べない血は赤いだけじゃないファミリー選べない血は赤いだけじゃない親父元気か俺たちは元気だ最後に報告が俺は揺るがないものを手にしたそれは家族だだから頼むな俺が死んだら約束通り二人で酒飲もうな。